So welcome back. Those of you who made it through the morning and survived to come back this afternoon. It's actually good that you made it back because the sutta takes uh, an <coughs> inspiring turn at this point, um, especially this section of the sutta. We spent the morning uh, talking about the hindrances and how challenging they can be and how to work with them and the aggregates and uh, seeing where we get caught or identified with them, how we struggle with them, try to solidify them, and actually they're just impermanent. We're encouraged to notice their impermanence. And then the six sense doors, how, um, again, we get caught, we get entranced by them, identified with them, lost in our relationship to them, the fetter that arises on each. So in practicing in that way, and there can be a way in which um, it often seems in our practice we're on what I call pain patrol. It's like, where's the next problem? Where's the problem in the body, the hindrance in the mind, the difficulty that I'm having? And how do I put that fire out? How do I work with that? And it can seem like a lot of our practice is about that, is putting out fires and dealing with problems and looking at the suffering that gets created. But there's a real wisdom in that too, because we have to acknowledge where we are and what the tendencies of mind are and how to work skillfully with that. The more we're willing to do that, the more we're willing to turn to what's difficult or challenging and discover a relationship, a different relationship to that, a wiser relationship to that, that as we do that, the mind starts to settle. The mind starts to be a little more clear, a little more refined, a little more present. And then the possibility of wholesome states being cultivated and actually a sense of real um, opening and clarity can begin to be experienced. But it's only by being willing to do the work we need to do with these challenging mind states. But it's really important to remember that's not the only field or domain of mindfulness. What's difficult? Where's the suffering? It also is always about where's the end of suffering. And so I said earlier there's a progression within the four foundations, there's a progression within this part of the sutta where it begins with um, the hindrances and, and the, the mind that's actually struggling a lot. And we work with that. Then we can notice this more subtle a sense of experience of the aggregates and see that they're impermanent, they're coming and going. And then start to notice the six sense doors and where, where we get caught in that. And so this is the kind of arc of the practice. We need to be willing to do that to actually um, start to experience these more beautiful states of mind and have them become part of our experience and our, the field for our mindfulness. And again, even though there is some linearity to this, there's a sense of sequencing, it's not lockstep. It's not like you have to practice with the hindrances, then you practice with the egg. You know, there's a fluidity to this and a lot of feedback loops. And really the main thing is we have to recognize wherever we are. And part of the um, opportunity of this fourth foundation is you see you can bring this understanding to anything you experience, any individual experience or processes you can understand through this schema of the fourth foundation. So um, don't, don't think that it has to happen in, in such a linear way, but over time there is this natural progression that we see happening. We're not struggling 
so much with the hindrances. We're not caught in the delusion that there's solidity or permanence to experience. We see it the way it is. And the mind just naturally tends to develop these beautiful qualities um, that are listed here as the seven factors of awakening. And, you know, you could almost transplant other beautiful qualities like the paramis or the brahma-viharas. They're also wholesome states of mind. We need to both notice the present and, and encourage and deepen and cultivate. But because this is around the practice of mindfulness leading to liberation, the particular list the Buddha points us to in this section is called the seven factors of awakening. So this is a list of seven qualities of heart or mind that get developed through meditation and need to be deepened and brought into balance for the mind to be in a place to open, to, 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 to awakening, to insight, and to, to deep liberation. So it's a beautiful teaching um, about these beautiful qualities of mind. And I think we said this earlier, it's also a pointing to we need to notice what's wholesome about our experience. You know, when the hindrances aren't present, what is there? Is there peace or equanimity or tranquility or joy, energy? Are these factors present? And the very noticing of them, naming of them, recognizing them particularly as factors of awakening is what helps to us to engage with them and to create a relationship where they can increase. So in these seven factors, again, they're on your cheat sheet here. You can see them listed. Uh, mindfulness is the first one. So here we are back at mindfulness. This is a whole practice about mindfulness. Satipatthana is all about mindfulness, but here it is embedded into uh, the seven factors of awakening. So that's the beginning of this list. We need mindfulness to be cultivated to have the others unfold. But then there's three energizing factors and three calming factors. So even within this list, there's this arc that happens, like a lot of the Buddha's lists that often begin with foundational practices or understandings that we create a, a good foundation. They're often energizing factors that give us the motivation, the juice for practice. But once that gets established, then the calming factors and the deepening factors are, are cultivated. So mindfulness being uh, the first factor, as we're mindful, what's, what happens next is dhamma vichaya. Uh, mindfulness of dhammas or investigation of dhammas, investigation. This is this curiosity. What's happening? What is this experience? It leads us to getting more connected, more present, understanding in this very felt sense kind of way. Again, investigation isn't a lot of thinking about, but using uh, wise investigation or mindful meditative investigation. Intimacy, uh, I've often heard this translated as int intimacy or interest. These are helpful ways to understand that. As we get interested in our experience, it's very natural that energy for practice go grows. It's kind of like we start to see for ourselves. Oh, will you look at this? Will you look at that? That's so amazing. And so they kind of feed on each other. And the more interested we get, the more energy we have. The more energy we have, the more mindful we are, the more uh, interesting it becomes. So we get more curious. And so these factors all feed each other. As these energizing factors come together, they lead to the next factor, which I think um, Analayo translates as joy. The Pali word is piti, P-I-T-I. And it's a, it's a meditative experience of um, 
rapt attention, sometimes translated as bliss, sometimes joy, uh, zest. Um, it's a kind of absorption. The mind gets so fascinated by its chosen object, so delighted in it, that it doesn't move elsewhere. It's really uh, content to be in the meditation with the meditation object. And there's a, a meditative joy that can develop that can, of course, deepen into real states of absorption. But for this purpose, it's just enough. So basically at this point, the hindrances are somewhat at bay. We're not so much struggling with sleepiness and restlessness. There's a sense of uh, ease in the meditation. What's interesting that from this place of quite a deal of great deal of energy, you know, there's absorption, there's connection, the mind is light and pliable, then the calming factors start to happen. Factors like tranquility, tranquility, uh, pasadi, leading to calming. So again, the transition from energizing to calming factors. As the mind is absorbed in its object, it's not so conflicted. It's not lost in push and pull of the hindrances. So it calms and collects, deepens into samadhi, concentration. And that's the point where it can open into equanimity, which is kind of the doorway to awakening. So there's this whole progression that happens with the seven factors. Some of you may be quite familiar with this list, perhaps for others of it, you it's new, but these are really qualities the Buddha pointed to not just in the four foundations of mindfulness, but again and again as ones we should notice. Just as much as we have to be aware of the hindrances and the impact they have in our practice and learn how to work with them skillfully, he says you should notice the factors of awakening and cultivate them, encourage them. So what's the practice with the um, factors of awakening? Again, the cheat sheet is there. Uh, it says we're asked to notice are they present or not present, just like the third foundation of mindfulness, this recognition, oh, this is tranquility, calm, or this is joy, bliss, happiness, contentment. This is energy. This is what energy feels like. But then the next section, I don't know if I've had it. I haven't got it written out exactly. Um, but you probably know the schema. We're asked to understand how did this arise? How did I come to have this experience of joy or equanimity or concentration? And then how can I develop this experience so it deepens and the language Analayo uses is gets perfected, gets brought to perfection, to uh, a real deepening. So whereas with the hindrances, we're asked to know are they present or not present, how they arose, and how we can avoid or abandon them, here are asked how can I cultivate them? How can I recognize them and bring them to deepening? So we're asked to understand what's the process happening here? How, how did this experience of joy or interest or energy or whatever, how did it come about? How can I deepen it? And the skillfulness that we talked about this morning has to apply here too. This is not to hold on to anything and identify with it, to, to claim, you know, now I'm a joyful person or I'll always be calm and tranquil. I figured that one out because, again, then we're lost in claiming it and making it solid. And it too is impermanent. It's, it's conditioned. 
but we can begin to understand how to cultivate them. So let's just take one, for example, the first one. So we're asked to know, is mindfulness present or not present? Again, anyone ever practice like that? Just literally recognizing, am I being mindful? Usually we're just beating ourselves up for not being mindful. You know, we're never mindful enough. We don't take the time to recognize, oh, there's some mindfulness here. I'm aware of this experience. Has anyone had that? Yes. I'm a teacher. Yes. And I work with special needs children. Mm-hmm. Judy's going to give you and a microphone. I, thank you. I'm a teacher and I work with special needs children and I just came out of the public school system and I'm now working in a different different environment. And I constantly, for the last several weeks, have, have every day I go to work, am I being mindful? Mm. Am I being non-judgmental in mm. this environment? Because it's a very different environment mm-hmm. than I came out of. And it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's not easy because there's all sorts of other pressures. Yes. And then then... Buried inside of me is this ego and this, I really do know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I keep running up against that. So it, it's, it's, it's a daily, as I drive to work every morning, it, before I walk into the building, I have to, am I going to be mindful? And sometimes I walk out of there at the end of the day and go, oh shit. <laughs> I wasn't mindful in yeah, that instance. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a practice and you're right, it's not easy. A lot of the times the Buddha is talking to, as I said, monastics who are living a very simple renunciate life and their whole world is around developing these kind of qualities and we're out there in the thick of things with all of these pushes and pulls and challenges and difficult uh, conversations and um, situations that we have to relate to. So it's understandable that we get lost, but just that willingness that that's the intention, you know, the intention to be mindful is so important. Actually, for one birthday, I got my husband one of those little clickers, you know, you count like traffic or other things with, and he did a practice of seeing how many times a day he was mindful. And it's interesting, you know, you can go through maybe a day there was 20, and you'd be surprised there's more than you think. But sometimes you can get into the hundreds of just, because what we're looking for is just a moment of mindfulness. Again, these things, they arise and pass too, so we're not looking to hold on to it, but just to have a moment of mindfulness and another moment sometime later. No no one's going to be mindful, no one that I know is going to be mindful all the time, but all we can hope for is the intention to be mindful and to recognize it when it happens. I actually have one teacher, Saida Utejaniya, who's so good with this kind of practice. He says two things you can do in your meditation or just during the day. Ask the question, am I aware? And then, what am I aware of? It's a great meditation practice. Because the good thing is, if you have the wherewithal to ask, am I aware? The answer is usually yes. So it's like, yes, I'm aware. Great. What am I aware of? And then you connect with that. So you can do, rather than saying, oh, I wasn't mindful or, you know, drat, I should have been mindful. It's like, right now, am I aware? Yes. What am I aware of? This, this experience. So we do it over and over again. But then the next part, so it's is it present or not present? And this is an important point to notice whether mindfulness is present. It's present, and when it's not present, the very noticing that it's not present is mindfulness, right? If you notice that mindfulness isn't present, you're mindful. So this is 
big, right? Because you can give yourself that positive reinforcement instead of beating yourself up for not being mindful. Appreciate that moment of mindfulness that recognized you hadn't been mindful, but you're mindful right now. And then the same formulation, the arising of unarisen mindfulness. So here it is. It wasn't there the previous moment, but I recognized that and mindfulness arose. And then how arisen mindfulness comes to fulfillment by development or perfection by development. We can actually cultivate this. And so people often ask when, especially when we learn, start practicing, you know, we have such good intentions. We want to be mindful. We know what the game is here. We know how helpful it would be. Why do we get lost so often? Why is it so hard? Why do I get lost? I actually think that's the wrong question because we will get lost. Look at these earlier lists and what the mind is often filled with, obsessed with, caught by the hindrances and clinging and self-identification. Someone talked about latent tendencies before. I think the bigger question is, why do we come back? So why do we come back? We weren't mindful, and then we are mindful. What happens there? Life works better. No, but why? Why do we come mindful? Because we're having some unpleasant experience sometimes, right? So because we're having some unpleasant experience. So we can have lots of unpleasant experiences and not be mindful of them, right? So what makes the difference? Attention to, to pay attention to that probably helps. So that's a big thing. Just as you were saying, you know, cultivating the intention in times of mindfulness, appreciating it, valuing it, seeing how it supports us. So there's some feedback happening there that really makes a difference. When it does happen, recognizing it and valuing it. The only, I shouldn't, I, every time I start to say a statement like that, I realize no one, the main thing that helps us to be mindful is other moments of mindfulness and recognizing them. There's some saying, I don't know who came up with it, that enlightenment is an accident, but retreats make us accident prone. And you could say the same thing about mindfulness. Mindfulness is an accident, but meditation makes us mindfulness prone. You know, we just have to keep doing it. And it is a lot about intention. If we, intention and wisdom feeding each other, if we really get that when we're caught in struggle and suffering, that being mindful of it will actually help us, we're more likely to do it. If all we want to do is kick and scream and get angry and blame and judge, and that we think that's the only option, well, that's what we'll do. So it, it, there are these feedback loops that are happening here that we really need to recognize. And that's why, you know, this recognizing that mindfulness is present and what it's actually doing. What, you know, and this whole sutta is about mindfulness and its functioning. What, what is it doing? What are we doing with it? How is it changing our relationship? Is there more suffering or less suffering? Sometimes if we're having a difficult situation and we bring mindfulness in, it can seem like we're having more suffering because we're really aware. We can't go into our usual escape mechanisms and denial and, and uh, you know, whatever we do to, to, you know, our drugs of choice that we take in, whether they're, you know, obsessing with media or, you know, 
food or whatever it is, we actually feel it. But the very feeling of the suffering, allowing ourselves to feel it without judgment, is again another motivator to work, find a different relationship, to find a way out. And we'll talk about the way out at the end. So this is really important. Be mindful and knowing that you're being mindful and seeing, you know, where do I, how am I caught here? How, in any of the ways that this sutta points to, and there's a myriad of ways, there's no one right way. There's the way that's right in front of you. Oh, I'm, I'm caught with this, or I'm taking this to be permanent and it isn't, or I'm blaming someone else for this. It's just this experience happening. So, you know, recognizing um, that mindfulness is present and knowing how to maintain it, cultivate it, and to really get that, you know, however moments of mindfulness we didn't have previously, can't change that. But as the Buddha often say, it was, it's like, actually I was going to say turning the light on in a room. He would say lighting a lamp. But, you know, the la- room's in darkness. You light the lamp, you turn the light on, and the whole thing is bathed in light. Everything becomes knowable, seeable in the room. We just need to do that. And you might, the lamp might go out the next moment, but you can turn it on again. And the more you appreciate the lamp being turned on, the more you value being awake, and connected in your body, knowing what's happening, the more you value that, rather than valuing, you know, how can I get away from being present and, you know, deny my experience. We have to value it. This is, this is the huge thing this sutta is talking about. When there's difficult experiences, we know how to work with them skillfully. When there's positive ones, how do we value them? How do we know them? How do we bring them to perfection, develop them? The, you know, the, uh, the, the, the arisen we cultivate, the unarisen we bring into being. So we're doing this, again, for all of the different factors. And so we have to start even knowing the nature of mindfulness itself. As someone says, mindfulness, uh, this was a student saying, mindfulness is inherently satisfying. See if you can see the pleasantness in mindfulness, what it's like to be present. Yeah, I teach mindfulness to students, mm. elementary school age. Yeah. And this is so practical because this is, you know, taking it to a very basic format. Mm-hmm. But I always tell them mindfulness gives us the ability to respond, mm. not to react. Exactly. And yeah. that's the point of mindfulness, yeah. that you are taking a moment to pause and decide how to proceed. Totally. Even if you're still proceeding with anger, you're doing it mindfully and skillfully in a way that's not harmful to yourself or others. You don't take away from that emotion or that feeling. You're just being aware of how you're doing it. Great. And can they get that? A hundred percent. Okay. So if they can get it, you have no excuse here. Even really, really young. I mean, I I work with five-year-olds and they get it. Great. And I hear the parents saying, they quote me constantly. That mindfulness allows us to respond, not to react. Okay, so. so there's the teaching of today right there. And that's exactly, you know, you don't have to memorize this list or know this sutta, but that's basically what the Buddha's pointing to, what I've been pointing to again, choice points. Seeing, you know, where am I caught? What, how this is refining that is in what particular way am I caught? Because the more clearly we can understand that, perhaps the more easily we can let go of that particular knot, that particular sense of becoming or identification. But it's all just nuances of that same teaching or technique. 
And this, you know, so through these seven factors, that whole, that same process is, is developed. Is, is joy present or not present? How, how, you know, to really see, Analayo says in here something like, the whole of the Buddhist path could be seen as a progressive refinement of joy. Now we often hear, and we'll I'll talk about this in a, in later this afternoon, that this is all about suffering, but it's about the end of suffering, and the end of suffering is about joy and happiness. And really, to see that as something we need to cultivate and be actively aware of—that these are very essential qualities of mind on on this path—that that joy and happiness and contentment and ease and tranquility are all so necessary. And so this, there's that possibility for all of these to actually know them, to name them in your experience. Might just be for a moment. Again, we're not looking to land on something, make it permanent, but moments of tranquility or concentration or energy or whatever it is. Again, any anyone had that practiced in that way of noticing wholesome states, especially meditative wholesome states when they're present and how that worked for you, what, what that experience was like. I'm going to tell a story about being on a long retreat with Sally, actually. <laughs> and... Um, um, I, I knew I was working to develop concentration, that was my intention, but I was probably there two weeks before I went in one day to an interview with Sally and said, this is what's going on. You know, I, I reported what I was experiencing and she said, oh, well, that's samadhi, that's concentration. And I had no idea. Mm. I had no clue. It was very, I guess I'm saying it's really useful to talk about this with a teacher <laughs> because I and I think it's true for me about um, some of the other ones of these mm -hmm. actually I I'm I'm not familiar with oh I don't know zest let's say <laughs> really mm -hmm. it, it's it was it's very useful to have it Named. Yeah, and so when that experience of concentration was named, how did that shift how you related to it? Oh, I could recognize it over and over yeah. and over again, and it built and built. Yeah, and exactly, built. and it gives us a kind of faith or confidence. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what this is, and if you know it, again, you know the conditions that help to support it because you've been creating them, and you know how to do that skillfully, how to continue deepening that. Yeah, yeah thank you. There's one way at the back, Judy. Okay. I'm a little reluctant to bring it up because I don't quite see how it fits. We use words like mindful, uh, your mind when really could be thinking. My meditation often is golf. The teacher will say, I want to get you out of your mind. Get out of your mind. She means uh, quit having so many thoughts. Mm -hmm. Sure, sometimes when it's, you know, really great, it does seem out of the mind. 
maybe talk a little on that. You, you set up and get a couple things going right, and then it flows. Is this any way? Uh, have you something to tie this? Um, well, I think your teacher's instruction out of your mind and into your body is a helpful one. As I've said, this whole sutta is a progression. And so we start with the body. We need to develop an awareness of the body and a grounding in the body so we can be present. Because for most of us, the mind is too elusive, crazy, agitated, busy, an object to pay attention to. So most of the time that's right. But we have to remember that meditation is the work of the mind. Even your awareness of the body is through the mind. So we also need to train the mind. And if we're always, or our only relationship to the mind is, get me out of here and into the body, we're not doing the important training, which is of the mind, of understanding how the mind works, where it gets caught, and how to free it. So, you know, for all of us, different techniques at different times will prove more useful. What I'm talking about now is not using the mind to think about things. As I said, this is a practice of skillful thought. The words in Buddhism are vitaka and vichara, directed and evaluated thought. It's very precise about the meditation experience or about our experience in the moment. It's not a, you know, Papancha, it's not this diffuse thinking about all kinds of things, but actually about this experience here and now. It's very in the moment. So in the same way we can be aware of the body in the moment, we can be aware of the mind and its contents in the moment. And that's a necessary part. At some point that becomes a very necessary part of our meditation, to include that. How we're relating to things, how we're using the mind in our experience. <clears throat> yes, uh, Lucy, is it? Yeah. Lucy, yeah. Um, Where's really, Judy? Um, when I read Matthew 16's book, Swallowing the Game, mm -hmm. and he speaks about the, thank you, he speaks about uh, guarding the sense doors. Mm. And when I finally kind of got that, that at some milli nano pity, you know, so infinitesimal that, that you can't really have two senses operating at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so what I started doing in my practice was what I, what I would call um, a practice within a practice. And by that I mean I would be in whatever thinking that I was in, or I was in concentration practice, then I would think, I, I would find myself thinking. And in that moment, I would be very, very conscious of coming back to my breath. And, and in that moment, sort of realizing that I couldn't both concentrate on my breath and have a thought at the same time, so I was sort of, uh, uh, I had confidence because of, the, the, you know, what he said about the sense gate. What I began to discover was a, a different quality of mind would come up in that moment. I guess you could call it tranquility or something. Mm. I mean, just for that split second. And then I would do another thought and have that experience. And I sort of enjoyed doing that. But I'm wondering, um, am I, is, is there too much manipulation going on in that kind of a practice? What, what's the manipulation? Well, sort of playing around with sense gates and, and, and one breath and feeling this lovely feeling for a millisecond and going back to it. Uh -huh. 
you know, again, I, I'd have to talk more with you about it. One of the things I said at the beginning is I really am encouraging us to be more active participants in the meditation, yeah. not just sitting down and all we want to do is be with the breath and we're kind of yeah. half there and not really and the mind's wandering, but we just let it go because we're just, you know, yeah. trusting what's happening to actually notice what am I cultivating? Because yeah. in every moment it's... there's intention and you're cultivating something. Yeah. So that's the question. You know, I talked about these three times, the past moment, the present moment, mm -hmm. the future moment. You look and see what gets cultivated out of that kind of practice. Do I feel more connected, more present? Mm -hmm. Is there more understanding or is the mind getting kind of agitated and busy and I'm solidifying something here? So again, it, it's really, that's the evaluation is, is this working? Is it going in the direction I want to go? Again, not with this kind of heavy handed judging, but just, you know, mm -hmm. a, an open questioning of, this is how I'm doing the practice. Is yeah. this working? And you can see, as I said, from this, there's no right one right way to practice. There's, I mean, I'm just skimming the surface so much of all of these different ways of relating to experience. No one right way. So we have to just see what gets developed. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, let's do a practice here. We'll do a, a 30 minute sitting on this theme of the seven factors. Again, if you want to stand up for a moment, sometimes after lunch, people are a little tired, uh, you want to stretch or get a, more cushions or whatever, I'll just keep speaking um, as you do that. Often we're not motivated or feel even permission to notice what's pleasant about our experience. We're so used to being, as I said, on pain patrol, figuring out what's wrong, <clears throat> judging our experiences being not good enough, um, being a little uh, bored or frustrated with our meditation practice, and to actively be on the alert for wholesome experiences is something that we don't spend enough time doing. So this is what I'm going to be encouraging us to do is to have a sense of this list, and you can have the paper in front of you if you need reminders, I'll mention them periodically. But the basic one is just mindfulness. You know, as I said, it's so helpful to actually have the thought, and this would probably be a thought, so it's a skillful use of thought. Oh, I was mindful of that breath. Or this is what it's like to be mindful of a breath. Or this is a long breath. Or my breath feels tight. Or the shoulder uh, feels contracted or you know, tense. Can I relax? So we're using thought, but it's directed towards our experience. And we can know, oh, I was mindful then. What did that feel like? What was the sort of quality of the mind when you notice that mindfulness is present? And the same for the other factors. I mean, as you, if you get curious about something, that's investigation. Or you notice that you have energy, or maybe you don't have energy. You're feeling tired. What does that feel like? Is there any joy? You know, I'll go through them as we do the sitting. But when you're ready, sit down. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.